0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Guymere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, guymerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen.
1: The reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And we'll be reading from verse 14 through to, I think it's 28, 24. And the Lord said to Moses... Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I I have made with them then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my, my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat then they will turn to other gods and serve them and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this is a song will testify against them as a witness for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants For I know the inclination of their behaviour today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Therefore, Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. This is the word of God.
0: Thanks Lionel. Well, good morning and uh, welcome. It's a kind of an exciting opportunity for us as a church I've been reflecting a little bit, uh, well, over the last, uh, I suppose, several months, but in particular over the last couple of weeks on the fact that one part of our heritage as a church is as a church that resources. So I don't know how many of you have become friends with Jodine Watling, um, our new associate pastor on Facebook. I have. I figured that's probably appropriate, seeing as she's now part of our staff. And uh, she uh, posted this week uh, just a kind of a Facebook post to all of her friends, letting them know that she's making this change. And she said in this post that after 10 years with Christian Surfer, she's now returning to the the mothership. Um, uh, talking about the fact that Christian surfers came out of Gamia Baptist Church, and it's uh, encouraging to know that we are a church that resources that hopes to send out. And this is another opportunity here for those of you who are around the la- last year. Uh, we made a decision, as Roxanne mentioned, to uh, commit ourselves to do a couple of series uh, for the Australian Christian Channel. This is the first of them. Uh, we're going to be starting the series in Joshua, kind of for real, next week. So for those of you who are in life groups, we'll be sending out that material. But uh, this is kind of a precursor to what we're going to be doing. Uh, And that's kind of an exciting opportunity, but it is a little bit daunting as well. Uh, So try try to look interested, at least for the first few minutes or so. Um, But uh, it is a very new kind of feel, isn't it? So if you're sitting here thinking, wow, this feels different, uh, like it does. Uh, Join join the crowd It's uh, very different, very bright uh, And uh, just a very different look And it's going to take us a while to get used to it But can I just remind us at this point in time That our our primary task As a church and as followers of Jesus Is not actually to be on television It's not actually to be a resource Uh, Our primary goal Is really to be faithful followers Of Jesus, that's what we're called to And so while it's going to take us I think a couple of weeks to get used to The way things look and feel. Uh, I do hope that we can set our hearts and minds on following Jesus more faithfully, and that the words, the things that that I bring to us would be heard as words for us, uh, as individuals and as families and as a community of faith here, regardless of uh, their role elsewhere in the world. Uh, So that's, uh, that just thought, worth saying. Uh, For those of you, thank you as well. For those who've been praying for us while we were on holidays, um, uh, we had a great time. We did very, very little Uh, And it's really nice to have kids the age where you can do very, very little and get away with it. It was actually quite lovely not to do all the theme parks in Queensland. So we just kind of went to the beach one day and then chilled out. And I read an entire book that had nothing to do with preaching or leadership or anything. It was really nice, actually. So it was great. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles with you, do turn to Deuteronomy 31. We're going to be having a bit of a look at this passage. I thought as an introduction to the life of Joshua, it'd be worth kind of giving us some background to who Joshua is and thought we'd look at this commissioning uh, that we have in chapter 31. Well, we all know the importance of ceremony, don't we? We've all been to ceremonies of some sort. Uh, Sometimes it might be uh, for our children uh, or for ourselves even, moving from kindergarten uh, into uh, infant school or from infants into primary or primary to high school or high school to university or university to whatever's next. Uh, We may have been to a wedding. Uh, We may have been to some sort of inauguration where an individual that we know has gone from being the incumbent to being the person in charge of whatever it might be. we may have seen ordination services and accreditations and all of those sorts of ceremonies and ceremonies have a number of things in common they tend to be a little bit long and dull in parts but they're primarily about transitions aren't they they're helping us transition well from one stage of life to another stage of life Uh, a man and a woman enter a church and they leave husband and wife uh, someone goes in as a kindy student and leaves uh, with the full brightness of year one before them uh, Students graduate with their degree from university and uh, they are ready to step out in the big wide world And be told they don't have enough experience to get the job They've trained for and and all of these sorts of things transition periods And what we're looking at here in chapter 31 of deuteronomy is a very significant transition in the life of the people of israel This is the transition from Moses to Joshua. Uh, And it is a really, really big transition. Uh, Moses is one of the giant figures of the Old Testament. If you were to boil down the Old Testament and only look at three or four individuals and, and kind of summarize the story of the Old Testament through their lives, you'd probably end up looking at Abraham, you'd look at David, you'd look at Elijah, and you'd have to look at Moses. Uh, He is just an enormous figure who has stamped uh, his uh, personality, I suppose we might say, his heritage on the traditions of the people of Israel. Uh, He led them out of Egypt. It was he who mediated the covenant between the people of Israel and the Lord. He led them in the wilderness. And now Joshua is about to step into those very large sandals if you've ever kind of stepped into someone else's shoes, if you've ever followed on after someone has done some pretty amazing things, you know the feeling of being a little bit daunted by that. You can imagine how Joshua would have felt uh, moving uh, into the place that, that Moses had held for so long. And Moses was also, shall we say, more of a a prophet figure. And Joshua was more of a military leader. So there were some differences of style, difference of task, difference in purpose that uh, was a part of this significant transition. And I want to have a bit of a look at what it is that Joshua hears at his commissioning and the significance, I think, for us as well. But let me back up a little bit and and tell you how joshua got to this point in the first place Uh, In numbers chapter 27 moses says to the lord lord You need to appoint someone to succeed me so that your people are not left like sheep without a shepherd They need a leader and the lord said well appoint joshua But that was not the first time we've heard of joshua Uh, joshua actually appears fairly early in the story in exodus chapter 17 In exodus chapter 17 the people of israel have fled the egyptians They've been rescued by the hand of the lord at the red sea Uh, and then the amalekites attack them Uh, And moses tells joshua to lead the people of israel into battle now. Just imagine this for a moment. I mean um, joshua like the entire nation had until just weeks earlier been slaves in egypt real good with bricks pretty handy with clay and straw probably not that great on the battlefield. And yet Joshua, this young man, is called upon to lead the armies of Israel into battle. You might remember the battle. It's the the same one where Moses went up on the mountain and lifted up the staff of the Lord. And when he held the staff above his head, the people of Israel were victorious. So you could see that the tide of battle went Israel's way. But when he needed to rest his arms, the tide swung the other way. And so Aaron and Hur stood on either side of Moses and held his arms up so that he could stay with the staff above his head until the battle was won. This is Joshua's introduction to us. In Numbers 11, we're told that he was Moses' aide from his youth. And to be Moses' aid was probably more than, you know, getting the morning paper and getting his coffee and all those sorts of things. He had some fairly significant roles. So in, um, in Exodus chapter 24, uh, when Moses goes up the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, to receive the law of God, no one else was allowed on the mountain, but Joshua went with him. So the Lord's presence had descended on the top of the mountain. Uh, There was storm and cloud and lightning and thunder. The voice of the Lord spoke and the people said, please don't let that happen again. Uh, God had told Moses, put a fence around the mountain so that no one comes up on the mountain even by accident because they will surely die. And yet Joshua accompanies Moses up the mountain. He is there while Moses receives the the tablets of the law. He is with him when he comes back down. Uh, This is a fairly significant role. When Moses would go outside the camp to the tent of meeting, the place where God would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend, Joshua was with him. And when Moses would return to the camp, Joshua would stay at the tent of meeting, just kind of hanging out in the presence of the Lord. Uh, In Numbers chapter 14, he is one of the uh, tribal representatives chosen to spy out the land of Canaan. He represents the tribe of Ephraim, and he, along with Caleb from the tribe of Judah, are the only two who bring back a good report of the land. Well, actually, all the spies come back with a good report, but only Joshua and Caleb say to the people, we can do this. The Lord will be with us. We will be victorious. Let us go into the land. Let us take what the Lord has promised. And he and Caleb are the only two of that entire generation who survived the wilderness experience, the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. This is Joshua. And so in Numbers 27, when the, when the Lord says to Moses, appoint Joshua as your successor, uh, then you can understand a little bit about why he was called, about the, the experiences that he's had. And yet at this point, I think we're very tempted to read a little bit more into these passages. I don't know if you, if you noticed it uh, in the reading. Uh, but at the very end, when the Lord speaks to Joshua, he gives him this command to be strong and courageous. Earlier in chapter 31, if you have a look in the opening section Moses speaks to Israel. He says I'm going to die uh, on this side of the Jordan River I will not be entering into the land But Joshua will and in verse 6 says to the people of Israel be strong and courageous Then he turns to Joshua and in the presence of all Israel says be strong and courageous And when we get to Joshua chapter 1 you'll find that be strong and courageous is mentioned like three or four more times in that chapter. What's going on? And I think we can assume that this was spoken to a man who needed to hear these words. And, And that's certainly true. But we have to be careful because I think our assumption is often that Joshua was obviously a timid man. He was obviously a little bit frightened, that he was scared of what was taking place. And to be fair, He was about to step into the very big sandals of Moses. He was about to lead the people of Israel into the fulfillment of the promises that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. It was a pretty big deal. But the biblical characters are often revealed to us only by what they say and what they do. Very, very rarely are we given any insight into what they were actually thinking, which is a little bit frustrating, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to know how Joshua felt? Wouldn't it be nice to have a little footnote here? So Joshua and Moses presented themselves at the tent of meeting, and Joshua thought to himself, or unto himself, or something biblical, right? Uh, Man, I am freaked out, all right? Or something that we'd kind of get some insight. But we're not. All we're given are the things that he said and did. And the things that he said and did indicate that Joshua is anything but timid. This is the man who as a slave, led the people of Israel into battle. This is the man who, when the entire community of Israel were threatening to stone them, stood up and said, the Lord will be with us. He put his life on the line to say, we can be successful. The Lord will go with us. We can take the land. Those are not the actions of a timid individual. Which leads to the question then of... Why would this phrase, be strong and courageous, be repeated so many times? If Joshua is not a timid, frightened uh, individual, why this repeated emphasis on strength and courage? And I think that perhaps the clue lies in the commissioning itself, which was read for us. Although, you may have noticed, It's a little thin on the commissioning part. Did you notice? Here's how that reading started. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua, present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. So, Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And what do we expect next? Well, I would expect some commissioning. You know... Joshua, come stand in the front here and Moses to make some speech about what a wonderful successor that he was going to be and maybe get Caleb to say a few words as well. And then we'll all sing a hymn or two and then someone will pray and then we'll lay hands on him like something, pour oil on his head, something symbolic. But what do we actually have? A little heading in my Bible says this is the prediction of Israel's rebellion. It's almost as if the Lord has gone on a tangent. Except that the Lord doesn't really go on tangents, does he? It's not as if the Lord has kind of gotten derailed. You know, he kind of gets to the commissioning service and then thinks of something else and kind of goes wandering down that path. No, this is what he wants to say, what he needs to say at this commissioning. And it's a really bizarre thing to say, isn't it? Let me read these words again to you. So this is, this is the commissioning. The Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them and in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. And then the Lord tells Moses to write this down. It's kind of like he writes, well, you can see the song, it's in chapter 32. It's kind of like a national anthem, but really depressing. A national anthem, of course, is, uh, you know, like a patriotic bit. Wikipedia says that it takes and eulogizes and evokes the history, traditions, and struggles of the people. And that's exactly what chapter 32 is all about. It it, it evokes and eulogizes the spiritual history, the spiritual traditions, and the spiritual struggles of the people of Israel. And God says this song, this, this anthem that will be passed down from generation to generation will be a witness to the people about what they're going to do but what a bizarre 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 commissioning speech i mean there's joshua standing there ready to be commissioned and the lord basically says this people are going to soon forsake me they're going to turn to the other gods things are going to get easy for them when i fulfill my promise to them and once things are easy i'm done They will turn from me. And the promises that Moses gave to the people that the Lord would not forsake them, the promises to Joshua that he would not forsake him seem to be turned on their head because here the Lord says, when you turn from me, I will turn from you. And although the language of marital infidelity is not introduced until Hosea in the 8th century, the language seems to be apt here. Once you cheat on me, the Lord says, I will divorce you. You will turn from me, I will turn from you. And then because you have been cut off from the source of life, well, disasters and calamities will overtake you. That's the way it's going to be. But what a depressing speech. And this is what the Lord says. And then at the end of it, in verse 23, the Lord gives this command to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The context of this, I think, points to what it is that Joshua would have heard in this. They're standing on the very edge of the promised land. This is a promise that they have been waiting for for hundreds of years. Uh, they, They have been waiting for the fulfillment, and they know what's waiting there, there are all sorts of nations that they're going to have to dispossess. There are walled cities and fortified cities and armies and chariots and, and on and on it goes. And it would be so tempting, as the spies did in Numbers 14, to end up focusing on those things. But it seems to me that the real issue, their, their real struggle, is not about fortifications, It's not about enemies, it's not about chariots, it's not about any of that stuff, it's actually about being faithful to the Lord. It's their predisposition to wander away from the Lord that's the primary enemy of the people of Israel. I mean, have a look again in chapter 31. Joshua is to succeed Moses, and Moses says to the people, this is what's happening, be strong and courageous. Says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then, beginning in verse 9, reads the entire law to the people of Israel. Then says to Joshua, after he goes through what will happen for the people, he says, you know what? Be strong and courageous, for this people are predisposed to turn from me. That's a very different strength and courage, isn't it? This is not a word to someone who is timid or who lacks confidence. This is, this, is almost like, this is almost like the halftime speech that the coach makes, isn't it? Say, in a grand final. I know that most of us probably watched our only game of uh, footy in the last week or so. I know that my family, I think, it was the girls' first footy game ever right? Uh, But it was historical, so we watched it. What do you think was said in the sheds at halftime? I reckon it was probably a little bit like this, wasn't it? Be strong and courageous. Finish what we've started. We've started so well. We've had a great first half. We've, We've given it all, but we need 40 more minutes. And the coach isn't saying to to a group of kind of, you know, lily-livered wusses, be strong and courageous. He's saying this to individuals who have given up heaps to be there, who have trained and struggled and tried to get to this point in time, for this moment in time. And he says to that group of strong and courageous people, be strong and courageous, let's finish this thing. It's what coaches say in sheds around the country, around the world, in any number of games, isn't it? Let's finish this thing. We've started well. Let's make sure we finish well. Because the courage and strength that Joshua was being called to here is not about just bravery in the face of overwhelming odds. This is the courage to stand firm when everything around them says you should worship the gods of the surrounding nations. They can provide for you. It's the strength that says, no, I will trust in the Lord and not in the gods around me. When those who who are surrounding me say the Lord cannot protect or guide or heal or sustain, I will put my faith in him. It's a different kind of strength, isn't it? It's a different kind of courage. And this, of course, I think, shapes the way in which we read the book of Joshua. And it should shape it in two ways. First of all, we should be on the lookout for this coming apostasy the Lord said, I'm going to lead them in and they will soon forsake me. So, when the spies in Joshua chapter 2 go into the land and the first place they go is a brothel, we should think to ourselves, is it now? Chapter 2 is pretty early, but is it now? When the first Canaanite they meet, they make a covenant with to protect and save, shouldn't we say, is it now? When A can keep some of the forbidden things and they lose the battle at Ai, we should ask, is it now? When, when the, the Transjordan tribes at the end of the book go back and set up a monument and the people of Israel freak out that it might be an idol of some description, should we be asking, is it now? But also we need to realize that the story of Joshua, the story that's told in the book of Joshua, takes place against this much wider arc of salvation history. The book of Joshua, with all of its violence, uh, which we'll try to deal with as we make our way through the text, uh, with all of its troubling passages, the commands of the, the Lord that seem to be just completely opposite to what we would expect... All of that takes place as part of a much, much larger story. You see, when God established the people of Israel in the land of Canaan, he didn't do it to just establish a geopolitical kingdom. He established it so that they might be salt and light in their world, to show the world to be a witness, a living testimony of what it meant to be in relationship with the living God to live out the values of the Lord in such a way that others will be drawn to them and have their hearts healed. Because the ultimate problem for the people of Israel, for God's people in all ages, and for those who have yet to know him, is that our hearts are predisposed to wander away. And this is ultimately what the Lord wants to fix. This is where salvation lies. And Joshua is told right here at the very beginning that he is to be strong and courageous for that reason. And I think then there's something for us, isn't there? It's so easy, isn't it, to focus on what's right in front of us, to focus on those immediate challenges to focus on our superannuation, to focus on our retirement, to focus on our education, to focus on our job, to focus on those bills or debts or whatever's going on and to forget to be distracted from the fact that our primary, our primary focus is about faithfulness. That what really threatens us is is not bad debt or poor decisions or a lousy workplace. What truly threatens us is is our inability to be faithful. And of course, we have an enormous advantage over Joshua and the people of Israel, don't we? For in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us, changing us, making us new, allowing our hearts to become hearts that will follow after the things of God. And that is incredibly encouraging and yet the call remains the same to be strong and courageous to keep the main thing the main thing and so while this is the very first well not even it's the kind of part A to a series that we're about to start can I suggest that this is actually the halftime talk let's get out there and finish what we've started let's not become complacent let's not sit in our hands let's not forget the lessons that we've learned let's not forget the things that we have been taught the ways in which we have gotten to where we are let us be a people of prayer let us be a people of the word let us be engaged in our father's world with the task that he has given to us to shed the light of the good news of jesus christ everywhere we go and in everything we do let us be those who invite others to join us as we follow jesus be strong and courageous do not become hard-hearted do not close your ears to the things of god but seek to become sensitive to the promptings of his spirit to hear his voice to feel the impression of his movement so that we can be obedient let's get out there and finish what god has called us to do let us be strong and courageous.